and they living it up, live it up chasing sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, they just go into the whole party scene and, and they have everything that money can buy while the money's there. There's, there's hotels, there's clothes, there's cars, there's sexual experimentation, drugs, alcohol, just parties as often as they can um, uh, run them. And then when the money's all gone, they face the actual realities of life. And the realities when the money's all gone and you're completely in another country is that you become absolutely homeless. And I think we've got a, a few slides of things. And what a change that would, that would have been for, for that girl. Um, to be homeless, to be friendless, to be starving, to have no money for food, let alone for a flight to be able to get home. Although I love the way she got home. <laughs> when that came up, <laughs> Dad, can you send me the money for the flights? There was a, just a, 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 a laugh. It went across every father, <laughs> every parent in the room as that came up. And, and, of course, the dad texts back and goes, sure, honey, the money's on its way. Um, that was really cool. But, but that reality of life moment was really, really important. She had this reality check when suddenly she's eating food that's out of garbage cans and everywhere else, and suddenly she realizes, actually, what I've been involved in hasn't brought life at all. Life isn't to be found in hedonism, and she wants to go home. And this broken person returns home just hoping that her father will be loving instead of angry and judgmental and even revengeful, which he could have been. And she goes home and she finds that her father is waiting, he's been hoping, he's been pining, just when will she get to the bottom of the barrel and realize that what she's doing isn't, isn't actually providing life? or any sort of real fulfillment at all, and finally that day comes, and he just wraps his arms around her. But, you know, she's already different, and the reason she's different is because she had an aha reality moment when there was nothing that she could do to get out of homelessness, loneliness, poverty. And she suddenly realizes, even at home, you know, the workers around my dad's business live better than I'm living right now. Perhaps I can go home and just work for him for free. And to realize that that's actually how God thinks about us, about human beings, about people in every nation right across this world, and he thinks individually about that, just blows all the religious thinking out of, out of our minds. It messes with our thinking about what God really is like. He's not angry. He's not distant. He's not an I told you so, now you need to be punished God at all. You see, the thing is, many, many people out there, but also within here, aren't worshipping the real God. They're worshipping a made-up God. It's a God that they've put together in their head with this bit and that bit and a bit over here, and they say, that's who God is. But if he doesn't reflect this God that's willing to take a daughter that's blowing everything, every chance, and just comes home and says, God, I, uh, Father, I was wrong. If he's not that God, we've got a false image of God. We've got what the Bible calls an idol. And it's usually a God who's made up of how they would respond and how they would think if that sort of circumstances happened. You know... 
The God that we serve is just so completely different than that. He's not interested in an eye for an eye. He's interested in us finding Him and growing up and becoming mature. But He knows that we sin. And He knows that we fall over from time to time. But He says, that's okay, get up. Learn something from the circumstance you've just been through. But I'm not angry with you. I'm not vengeful upon you. I'm loving. I want to help you. I want you not to be falling like that. But when you do fall, I will be there for you every single time. So different to religious thinking. Well, there's a story in the Old Testament that way back several thousand years, sorry, 750 years before Jesus came, but several thousand years from our day, was a story in the Old Testament that again just paints this completely different picture for everyone. And it's quite a confronting story. Um, it, it's, it's a story that is about God speaking to a prophet. And the prophet's name is Hosea. And in the church, especially when a prophet's able to stand up and call out things about people's lives, a lot of people think, wow, I wish I could be a prophet. I wish I could be like that. I wish I could, God would tell me things about the future so that I could share those things with people. But when God came to Hosea, the first things that he started to say with that, say to, uh, to Hosea, was nothing like that. Have a look at what he said in Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. Hosea, as a prophet of God, go and marry a street worker. Go and marry someone who loves or is in the brothel industry. Go to, go to brothels and find someone and marry that prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. See, you won't even know necessarily whether it's going to be your child or someone else's child will be the first and the second and the third that come from here. And this will illustrate, God says, how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. So Hosea married Goma, the daughter of Diblam, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea, fortunately, a son. So Hosea is this young man in Israel with a great calling, this prophet's calling is over his life, but the mission that he gets is unlike any other mission ever. And 750 years before Jesus came to the planet to solve the sin problem, God's amazing, unconditional, extraordinary love was on full display in a man called Hosea and his prostitute wife or ex-prostitute wife. See, Hosea was given the most exceptionally ridiculous, embarrassing, shameful assignment. Because what happens with prophets is, especially in Israel, they're national figures. They're known by everybody. Everybody watches who they marry. And everybody knows. And then everybody knows what goes on in the family life as the story unrolls. So one day, this man who's after God, he's, his heart is after God, he's praying, he begins to hear something, and, and he hears the voice of God say, this is your assignment if you choose to accept it. I want you to go and marry a prostitute. 
Now you imagine, Steve, if that was what God came to you in your bedroom one day and said to you, well, you're married, we can't, can't go to you. He'd be going, what? What? How can this be? But he's told that this will, this will illustrate how the children of Israel are cheating on him and going after other gods and prostituting themselves towards God by, by going after other gods. I want the people of Israel to see what it's like when they treat me that way. And the prostitute's name is Goma, which I think is a bit of an unfortunate name she had. And so he follows his, the instructions God's, God gives him, and he marries her. And you imagine how hard he had to work to take her out of the sex industry and then to be able to trust her in those early years. And for a little while, things go pretty well. A baby's born, and it's a boy, and they give him a terrible name. But she's busy. She's, she's, she's looking after this boy, so she's not rushing back to the sex industry, I don't think. But she's busy with this baby. And then another baby's born, and there's a, a second one. And, and then there's another, and it's a girl, and another baby's born, and it's a third one. And it might be um, three under three uh, that happens. And, and then... Somewhere around about maybe year four of their marriage, when everything seems to be going pretty well with these children and, and the home that's being built, one day Hosea wakes up and Goma's not in bed with him. So he gets up probably and he, and he goes to the kitchen thinking she, she's making me breakfast, but she's not there. He thinks, oh, she must be in the kids' room. So he goes through and he opens up each of the kids' rooms, assuming that they live like we live. And, and no, she's not in bedroom one or bedroom two. <sighs> She'll be in the bathroom. And of course, it's an outside bathroom in those days. And so he waits and he waits. But of course, she never comes. And I guess in his stomach, in his gut, he realizes where she is from probably the moment he first got out of bed with this Everything's not okay today, sort of feeling. She's gone back to the sex industry. Now, do remember, with her going back to the sex industry, how famous Hosea is. It's like he's on every bit of social media that's possible. He's got a face that's well-known. And everybody would now know that his marriage to this prostitute, what was he thinking? What was he doing? has busted up and she's gone back to the, the streets. He, he'd know that he couldn't ever hide it. It would just be how it is. And he'd have had huge embarrassment just doing anything on, on any day. He's now a single dad with three kids. And the Bible doesn't actually say much about what, what happened next, but to be really honest, when you think about it, they would have had some really dark, he would have had some really dark days and some even darker nights. And then eventually God comes to him again and he hears God's voice. And God comes to him and says, I've got a plan for you, Hosea. And so he's waiting with all ears. And he's thinking maybe you can remarry and I've got a beautiful woman for you this time that will just absolutely delight you and she'll love the kids from Gomer and you and the family will grow. But he doesn't hear anything like that at all. He says, I want you to go, God says, I want you to go out and find her and marry her again. And Hosea would have had another one of those what moments. Man, Hosea, when we get to meet him, is someone that you're going to want to say, 
you, you were an amazing person. You did what, what most men would have absolutely walked away from. Because it's exactly what he did. And that's where we pick it up in the next um, scripture, in Hosea chapter 3. Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Can I say that again? This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves his people, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Now remember, the whole purpose of this was so that it would demonstrate the immensity of God's love for people. The whole purpose of this so that it is so that it would demonstrate the immensity of God's love for people. Just because people mess up doesn't mean he'll abandon them. That's what this is telling us. Or punish them. Or be angry with them. Or call down fire and earthquakes and tsunamis on them, as so many people think. We call fire, earthquakes, tsunamis... But we should really be talking about them as acts of the enemy mixed with what Adam and Eve did way back in the beginning of Genesis when sin entered the world and not just into people's lives but even into the fabric of society and, and of the nature of, of, of this planet. But we call them acts of God because we think that God's angry and a God of punishment and a God of, of vengeance and a God who just loves the rules to be kept. Now, don't get me wrong, we need to keep rules. But not for the rules' sake, for our sake. Living the way God says makes perfect sense. It causes a life to begin to get a routine, a rhythm and, and, a, and a strength and, a, and a, a, a peace and a righteousness because we are living within the framework of what God says. And when we mess up, we ask for forgiveness and we begin to keep walking in that. But it's not because the rules it's not for the rules. The rules are for us. But we don't serve a God who wants to belt us because of breaking of the rules. See, he's obsessed. It's a pretty strong word, but God is obsessed. Look at the story. He's obsessed with people. He wants the Israelites and he wants us as people to know that even when we mess up, he will come after us. He will love on us. He cares for us. He still wants eternity with us. He still wants the plan and purpose that he has for our lives to come to pass. And so he asked Goma to do this amazing thing, marry a prostitute, have children with her, and then when she leaves you and goes back into the sex industry, go after her and marry her again. And 750 years before Jesus came, the love of God in this story was totally on display. I don't know how often the Jews and in, in the, in the, the scribes and the Pharisees read this story because it just goes against everything that religion is. And they were great religion keepers. But it's the picture of the prodigal son again. It's the picture of a father that wants relationship and, and life for his children. 
connected with him. It's, it's God's love of the depth of power and, and love and, and quality of love that God has for each one of us. You know, Israel at this time, when Hosea was alive in history, was economically doing pretty well. So the children of Israel... Um, who were prospering, do what most peoples of the world and, and countries of the world do when you prosper. They, they, they run after the things of the world. And, and love was a big theme in, in Israeli society. And they believed three things about love in those days. They believed that love can be bought. And they believed, secondly, it can be found in the pursuit of self-gratification. And thirdly, it can be found in an inanimate objects and things. And that's not that different to today, where people believe the same thing. They believe that you can buy love. If you have enough money, you can buy love. And in some cases, you see people um, living that out. Um, and secondly, they believe that today we believe that... Um, most love is found in the pursuit of looking after yourself and self-gratification and making sure that we're okay and that people are and, and our lover is 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 feeding something within us. And thirdly, um, you know the. Uh, materialism is the love of inanimate things, and we live in a society that tells us all the time, if you just have a boat, and if you just have this, and if you just have more, and if you have a bigger boat, and even when you get a bigger boat, a bigger boat again would be even better. You'd catch more fish with a bigger, bigger boat. <laughs> and it's a lie. You can catch just as many fish with a small boat, but there's nothing wrong with big boats. But, you know, in our society, we're just on the drip feed of more, more, more. And Anna was standing up here the other day telling us, hey, we should just go stop and start thinking about what, all the, what we're producing and the effect it's having on our planet. And so the children of Israel were running after these things in their day. And God had to, God had to come with a story of Hosea, which was really lived out with a real person and a real uh, lady and... and, and to say, actually, love isn't all about self. Love isn't all about those things. But this is what real love is, that I love you with this kind of intensity. And he put, it, he put himself on display. But, you know, you've got to ask, what was it like for a prophet who's a real public figure to go looking for his wife? He'd have to go to the places where men of God are not supposed to go, to the red light district, to the brothels, to the clubs of his day. And of course, he would be recognized. Hey, hey, you're, aren't you? And he'd have to go up to some of the men there and say, have you seen my wife? Have you seen Goma? And they might go, oh, no. Never seen her. Don't know who she is. Imagine how embarrassing it would be like that. And then when he finally finds her, most scholars believe that she's in a sex-slave auction. And she's the next woman to be sold. And Hosea says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And Goma probably can't even look at him as she's about to be solved in, at, at this, in this instant. She's just at the lowest point of her life. And Hosea probably said, hey, she's, she's my wife. And the pimp would have said, I don't care. She's my property and I'm selling her. So does he have to outbid other men for his wife? Maybe. But he pays 15 shekels and 5 to 10 bales of barley for her. 
And we might feel like saying, wait on, Hosea. She's your wife. She's already yours. But he just says, no, I'll pay whatever price it costs to be able to get her back. And that's exactly what Jesus did 750 years after this. He was willing to pay the price that it cost to be able to purchase people back from the hands of the devil, even though we were already his. And then Homer, or Hosea, sorry, possibly right in the sex slave market, renews his vows of commitment to Goma. And he says this, Then I told her, You have to live with me many days, and you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will be the same towards you. And friends, that's basically in that environment a level of love that's pretty, from a human perspective, hard to understand how someone could do that. And then the Spirit of God comes on Hosea and he begins to prophesy. And he says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, uh, without ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now remember, it's 750 years before Christ. But it's about 200 years since King David had lived on the earth and already died. But it says here that there will be many days that will not be good for Israel. Days without contact with God till a new era dawns. And this, I think, is a double fulfillment prophecy. There was a a, a fulfillment in the first instance of what took place with the coming of Jesus Christ. And then this prophecy speaks to what we would call the last days, the latter days, with the coming of Jesus Christ back to the earth again for the second time. A double fulfillment. But, you know, God has not forgotten the Jewish people. Though they've rejected, many of them have rejected him at what took place in in, uh, Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. God has not forgotten the Jewish people. They are still his people. But it firstly speaks to the coming of the new covenant, the one who would be a descendant of David, Jesus Christ, who would come and bring a new era in where there would be a fear of of, uh, the Lord or One aspect of that is is the awe of God, the fear of God that's a holy thing, a good thing, and His goodness will come. In In the Old Testament, people lived under the fear of God's judgment, under law. But after God buys His people back, the people will know and experience His goodness. We call that the season that we live in, the season of grace. And Hosea's name in Hebrew actually means salvation. And Goma means completion. And so complete salvation will come and has come. And friends, this story blows all the imagery of an angry, spiteful God out of the window and replaces it with the image of a kind God who at his own expense goes out of his way to rescue broken people from the consequences even of their sin. See, God loves us that much. He'll go into the murkiest, most sin-infested, dangerous places in this world for us. He'll go into prisons, he'll go into brothels, but he'll also go into places that we feel are quite safe, like high schools or corporate office blocks or city nightclubs and pubs, seeking us, wanting to engage with us, revealing his generous goodness to us so that we will respond to him. But God is looking for people who, like in the prodigal son, have had an aha moment. 
have had a reality check moment where the prodigal son or daughter had had it all and could actually supply it all out of her own desire and her own will and her own plan for her life until suddenly she's at a stage where she realises, I don't even have proper food. And she came to herself. And can you see the same thing of what Goma had, sitting in that sex slave auction, realizing this isn't what I signed up for, this isn't how I thought my life would be. Even when I was in the sex industry, I was in control until I'm completely out of control. And maybe just before her husband graciously came in the door and bid for her, she said, God, help. If there is a God out there, Can you get me out of this impossible circumstance? And Goma came. And God is looking for people who have that reality check moment. You know, both stories, the person reached that point where they were ready to surrender into the arms of a loving God. But if pride and ego and I want to do my life my way are still dominant... The father is willing to just step back and say, well, if that's your choice, go ahead. Knowing that the spiral that people's life takes them down, down once they get into this kind of story. You know, I was at Promise Keepers yesterday and, and a, a guy whom I know, Mick Duncan, shared the story of his own daughter's spiral into a terrible situation with drugs and running away from home and just the terribleness that happened. It was almost quite funny. He said he was with his daughter at, in Auckland at their home and she, she turned her phone on and started ringing and um, he saw a helicopter coming until it circled over his house. And when she turned the phone on, the police who were after her were um, tracking her by her phone. <laughs> She escaped, flew to Australia, and that went on for a number of years. But the spiral goes down. The spiral goes down until his daughter, like Goma, came to a point where she she ran into herself. And she realised, how did I get here? And in her case, she rang her father and said, Dad, I am an addict. And it took probably 12 years before she would admit that she was. And the up process began. But you know, each one of us has had our point where God has been able to break into our life. The amazing thing is, friends, we don't have to get to the bottom. God will allow us and break into our life at any stage where we come to a realization I am not enough to live this life. My will, my desire, my plans, they're not enough. And they're certainly not enough for the next level of heaven. There's nothing in us that can force our way into the next life of heaven. Some people get to hear. Some people get there. And other people have that aha moment where suddenly they know God is real. And they go, wow, 
if you've got plans for my life, they're going to be bigger and better and larger than anything I could ever make for myself. I want you. And they surrender into the hands of a loving God. And I don't know where you were on your journey before you reached that aha point. But I know that some people feel they, my Christianity doesn't work. I think I'm doing all the right things, but God seems a long way away and I have to make it work. And others are walking this walk close to God and and things are opening up around their lives. And I believe it's this point of how surrendered were we? How surrendered are we? And when Goma was willing to surrender, the answer came in the form of her husband bringing her back again. When the prodigal daughter or the prodigal son was willing to surrender and say, I need you, Dad. I need your love. I just want to be wrapped up in your arms again. Have a look at this next picture. When any one of us just surrenders, God comes and wraps us up. You might have had part of the image of the true Jesus, the true Father, the true Spirit, the true God, but had part of the vengeful, angry, I must perform for you, God, mixed in there as well. But the true image is that. A God who loves you and will go anywhere for you. He's proved it in Jesus. But the depth of this story is astounding. Let's just pray. I think the greatest point we can get to is where we just want to surrender, either for the first time or surrender today again before God and just say, God, I need you. I love you. Fill my life. Take over my life. And I just want to ask anyone who wants to just surrender before God today to lay down any part of the image that is of the the wrong image of God. The devil would love you just to keep those thoughts of you're you're a worm, you're worth nothing, God's your enemy, he he barely likes you, you'll always be at the back of the crowd, never at the front, Um, all those sorts of things. And just lay those things down before him. Say, God, I just surrender. I, I need you. Help me. Embrace me. I surrender into your will. When Sandra and I were getting married, um, we had many conversations in the car about where God might send us. And I used to say to her, if God says go to the Eskimos, I'm going to go. Are you willing to come with me? And eventually there was a day where Sandra said, I don't care where God sends us. I want to be there. I want to go with you. And we got married shortly afterwards. You know the goodness of God? He sent me home. 
He sent me where my family have lived in the past. He sent me to an area where my dad sung in the church down, that's now gone, just down the road down here. He sent me home. He sent me to the mainland where my mother grew up and the family farmers was. His will is far greater than our will. If you would like to just refresh today, either for the umpteenth time or the very first time, a desire before God to surrender and say, God, your will, not mine. As Paul brought out, your will and not mine. I just invite you to stand. If the Spirit of God's touching you in any way, I invite you to offer your heart to him afresh. It's got to be real. If you just do it for people around you or me, God knows. But if you're genuinely saying, God, again, I just surrender into your will. I surrender to you. Lord, thank you for the things that you're doing in every heart, but I pray specifically for the hearts before me, God. May your love and your peace take over area and place. You said our lives are like rooms, Lord, and each one of these people have opened rooms to you. Perhaps places where you haven't walked for a long time or ever walked within their inner world before. And I'm standing as well, God. Thank you for the grace and goodness that opened those doors. And Lord, may you just cause your will to flow and to be released in every one of those lives. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you stood for the very first time, I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I've done all sorts of things that I'm ashamed of and embarrassed about. And I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for taking all of the rubbish out of my life. And I open my heart wide to you. Come and live within me. By your spirit, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just take a seat, if you would, folks. <coughs> the last thing I'd like to say with this is there are many gomers. And God wants us to be involved in, in reaching out to them. And reaching out to a someone who is a goma and it might quite literally be someone on the street in the, in the sex industry is messy.
but that's the call upon our lives, is to be his agent and his, his um, instrument to be able to reach into people's lives. And again, I just want to ask any of you, if you want to, if you want to just say to God today, I'm serious about this, Lord. I want to reach out to neighbors, family, but I'm willing even beyond that, provided you lead me, I'm up for it. Then I just invite you to stand and I'd like to pray for you as well. Lord, we're so comfortable as Christians. We know, we know what comfort is and we know what ease is. And people who are messy, Lord, will need our time and our resource and our hospitality and at times a bed and at times, Lord, just take us to the edge where we'd like to say, I'm finished, no, no more. But you don't want to do that. And so I just pray for your power. I pray for your, hope, uh, your, your goodness. I pray for the stretch in these ones' lives, Lord, that, that they would find the energy and the, the joy and the, the hope of seeing people's lives turn around and people find salvation would be greater than any sense of loss or cost that might be there. So I pray that by your power, Lord, you'll grace them today with the ability to follow through wherever you lead. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I invite everyone to stand and we'll, we'll just sing and draw things to a close.